Hello and welcome to this edition of the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and sitting next to me, the one and only Ray Jewell. Ray, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Kevin. It's always a, a joy to be here. We're, uh, we're covering some interesting things today. We are. And uh, for those of you who don't know Ray, you probably don't know this podcast because Ray's probably our most frequent guest. But uh, Ray has, has, has had experience as a pastor, professor, teacher, radio host, uh, and can I say now community organizer? Can well, I add that title in? Yeah, we're, we're working on it, but hopefully the next step's not president yeah. of the United States. <laughs> I think the United States, I don't know if they can handle you yet. Probably but. not. All right. Well, we're uh, we're talking about the issue of church history. I know it's something that you have an interest in and I have an interest in. So why are we talking about church history? Why are we living in the past? Why don't we just talk about the future or the present? Okay. Well, that that's a valid point. But when you look at Scripture, when you look at the life of a Christian, it all starts in, in the history of uh, the church or the history of God's people. Uh, if we don't uh, connect to that, I mean, even just the gospel itself is a historical event. Right. If that doesn't happen, if God doesn't create the world where time begins and, and history actually has its start, even though at first it was an oral history, not a written one, uh, we have nothing to base anything that we believe on at all. Yeah, the Christian faith is one grounded and rooted in history. Uh, it's one of the things I that really it separates us from many other religions. We're not just a pie in the sky, by and by religion, or just a spiritualistic or, or dualistic, which we'll talk about later, mm -hmm. faith. But we are grounded in reality, grounded in the here and now, grounded in the past, and we can look back on that. So. We're talking about church history in particular, at least in my mind, we're talking about life after the book of Acts, or what happened to God's people after Christ's ascension, after the apostles have passed on, and how the church and how God continues to work through his people through the ages as the drama of redemption unfolds. Yeah, I think that the thing that we have to remember is that God has... A purpose for his creation that encompasses more than just human beings it encompasses the whole of creation the world itself and and uh, systems uh, just uh, mindsets that that go along through that throughout the the history of the world and, that, and when I talk history I mean we could we could spend an awful lot of time talking about uh, well dates. you didn't spend an awful lot of time talking about anything exactly <laughs> dates or events and their their sequence and things but the 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 problem with that it, it would take us until next year sometime to right. finish all that what I'm hoping that we'll we'll tackle here is the history of ideas because it's the ideas that have changed the world. And, uh, you know, we have major shifts in the history of the church as we go along, like the first four centuries of the history of the church from Acts forward is basically, you know, Christians were on the outside of society right. looking in. And it wasn't until, um, I, I always get this mixed up, was it Constantinople or was it Const Constantine? Constantine, yeah. Constantine in the fourth century, 
when Christianity became the state religion. And uh, that, that changed everything. Up until that point, you know, the, the church was very persecuted by the Roman Empire. Uh, uh, people were coming to Christ in the midst of that because, I think, because of the witness of the church. So even under persecution, they were remaining faithful to the, uh, the validity of the gospel. That it was definitely something that, ha that happened in history. And without that, why, you know, if it's not true, why do we waste our time? Right. Because that's all it is, is a waste of time. If, if what we say is not historical uh there's no basis for it uh and paul does an excellent job the apostle paul talks about that in first corinthians 15. if the resurrection of jesus or if the resurrection of anyone does not happen as a historical fact then you know we've wasted our time now there's a lot of people in the world today who would say that we are wasting yeah. our time but uh you know you and i obviously believe differently because it's, this is what it's all about. And yet we live in a culture, in, even inside the church, that it's more about theistic existentialism or uh, moralistic, um, therapeutic Deism, approach yeah. that, that just doesn't want to tie it in with, with history. And that is the biggest mistake that Christians can make. We right. need to be concerned and know history. Well, I want to make one one correction. Uh oh, uh, here we go. In that, uh, Christianity did not become the official state religion of Rome until Theodosius. But it was it was con it was a uh, Constantine that made the the religion actually legal in in the empire and actually he adopted it himself. But you said something really fascinating, and you said that the, the, those those first couple centuries of the Christian Church, it was Christians looking from the outside in we weren't a part of the. it wasn't mainstream it, it wasn't accepted and that really connects us to where we're at today or or where we're headed mm -hmm. today yeah and uh to think that okay a lot of people are wrestling with how do we handle a post-christian society where christianity at least evangelical conservative christianity or biblical christianity uh, especially in our country is not as accepted we do have nominal Christianity and, and liberal Christianity, I think, is still tolerated. But we're wrestling with the idea, how do we handle things? Well, well I we think, can go back to the early church. I think we can, well, we can look at that example. Exactly. I, I think that's exactly right, because I've said for several years now that we are living more in a pre-Christian environment um, with a multiplicity of gods, uh, with... Uh, you know, a, a kind of eclecticism, a syncretism that existed with the Greek and Roman culture. And, um, you know, you see Christianity now as one of many options. And with yeah. the, the talk about all roads lead to God and that uh, nonsense, you know, just flies smack straight dab into the face of what Jesus himself said in John fourteen six, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, you know, to wrestle with this world around us, I think that Christians do a disservice to the gospel of Jesus Christ yeah. by not being grounded in history. Right, and, and we, we look to the early church, and what fascinates me for those first couple centuries 
We have a church on the run. We have a church that, again, does face fierce persecution, but also is struggling to find really who, it, who they are. Uh, we have the canonization of Scripture during this time. Uh, people forget that you know, the Bible wasn't just dropped out of heaven in a you know, leather-bound edition you know, from Genesis to Revelation. In the King James language. Right, the, yeah, the King James language. Uh, but, you know, it, it was actually a process, and, and, and several church councils had to meet. And you also have really important doctrines that we consider bedrock foundational things, like the Trinity and others, mm-hmm. uh, the deity of Christ, that wasn't, you know, they, they, weren't, they weren't producing, you know, Jesus and the Apostles didn't produce a systematic theology book. Right. Uh, these are things the church had to wrestle through. There were heretics that had to be denounced, and so during that time, it was a really, a really crucial part of the church. And I think it was we're uh, we could be headed into a similar time, and I don't think we need to be discouraged about that. In fact, I think God could bless that in in great ways that we're not considering at the moment, and that. Right. If, we, if we're not grounded in that, if we don't know what came before us, mm-hmm. then we're just going to be lost in the wind. Right. I think one of, one of the key elements of the first few centuries was the fact that it was um, a persecuted church. Because of persecution, the gospel spread. Right. The blood of the uh, martyrs is seen yeah, the church. I mean, it's like, and that, you know, what's so interesting about that now, today, more Christians are being persecuted for their faith around the world than at any mm-hmm. given time in the history of the church. Now, obviously, that's not happening in the United States, right. which makes me think that we're missing the boat here with our desire to be uh, comfortable and not to be in the marketplace, that we've allowed uh, the church to become marginalized and and we'll pay the consequences for that. But I, I'm looking for and seeing some things happening, especially in the multi-ethnic approach to Christianity that is becoming more and more what's growing in our country as opposed to the white individualistic um, uh, white privilege, uh, westernized, cultured Christianity. And some people have uh, <clears throat> come out with the idea that Christianity, biblical Christianity, is different than what happened from about the 4th century on in the West. Uh, they call calling that more Christendom because that's when, again, right. the, the church and the state came together. And that uh, you know, has had tons of ramifications which again is something that we need to learn from as we, we, we still have in our country this idea that patriotism and Christianity is somehow linked together. Right. That in order to be a good Christian, you have to be a good American or vice versa. I mean, you've got pastors who are, uh, you know, who are having their congregations sing songs about make America great again and uh, patriotic Sundays and whatnot and we should learn from church history that when the state and the church are mixed together, that's not a good thing. Yeah, and, and obviously that, that opens the door for a little bit of a discussion on the concept of church and state. I, you know, those who are vehemently against church and state, the idea of them working together, misinterpret, I think, what the, what the founding fathers of our nation meant. They did 
what they were trying to avoid was one denomination becoming right. the predominant one and ruling one that's what they faced in Europe and were being persecuted for. But, and that's what it means. Now, today it means you can't have God in, in government. Well, I, I mean, sorry to tell you this, folks, but God's in the government whether you like it or not, first of all. And, but to have Christian leaders, and they don't have to be overtly Christian in their policymaking, but just as a, as a backdrop for how to make their decisions and how they operate things and how they care about people and, and whatnot instead of programs and, and maybe even instead of building up military or, uh, you know, I think one of the big elements for a Christian in government is to be willing to work on fiscal responsibility. I think that's gone by the wayside, you know, Right. Probably even before our time. Well, and I agree with that. But I'm, I'm concerned about Christians who want to advance the kingdom of God through the state. Ah, um, I agree. And, and, and that's where we have, I, I, my antenna's up. Uh, you know, I come from a Baptist background. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Baptists historically have stood for is a separation of church and state, meaning that the state should not be ruling the church, nor should the church be ruling the state. And we've seen that. Through the Catholic Church, we saw that you know, we talked about the, the 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 Dark Ages or Middle Ages, and after the fourth century, really up until the sixteenth century, we see mm-hmm. what happens at how power corrupts the church. Oh yeah, and of course, as a Baptist, I would look at even within the Reformation, uh, Protestants when they began to dominate their own church, uh, their own governments. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, isn't it, how those on the outside once they come into power they just act like those that were in power when they were being persecuted you know and that that happens with any group that gets in power Uh, you know you can look at the uh, the communist takeover in russia and how that became so abusive and whatnot and of course you know one of the differences there is in christianity you know god is a part of the picture in communism god is not but that still it still holds i think there have been a lot of abuses done in the name of jesus yeah, that that are invalid. I mean, our last election, um, you know, it took me a little while to get to this point, but there are Christians who are standing behind our current president, regardless of anything that he says or does, and that's intolerable. Yeah. Uh, it just it's just ridiculous to, because I think God maybe acted in that. Person, you know, in that election, I think God does more than we realize. But and some would argue that was an act of judgment. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's uh, God does that. Obviously, I think God is historically in Scripture. We see several times when God uses a government or a system to bring about His purpose, whether it's uh, to to bring people, His people, to repentance or to uh, make it easier for the gospel to be spread, uh, that kind of thing. I mean, there's certainly a good argument that says the Roman government, well, even though it was oppressive, provided the, a great avenue for the gospel to be spread. Right, like I mean, the you look Pax at the, Romana, the Pax Romana, and, and the, just the road system. Roman, yeah, and the, spreading the, the gospel became, yeah. and you, had, you had one uh, common language spoken throughout the kingdom, right. and... 
uh, you know, Je- uh, Genesis, uh, Galatians 1 tells us that uh, God came at just this time. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that, you, to kind of segue into our next session, uh, one of the other things that church history provides us is a grounding. Mm. Uh, we, we hear about the need to not reinvent the wheel. And we look at the past, and we see a lot of the, the controversies and things we're dealing with are nothing new. Our, our forefathers in the faith have kind of fought some of these same issues, and if we're not going to learn from them, uh, then we're going to fall into colossal error. We, th- there's, there is safety and wisdom in going back, even some of the, the early church councils, some of the uh, creeds and confessions, and see that we have a historic faith that God has wrought among his people that we can take comfort in, that we're not just inventing things as we go along, that God has always been at work in yeah. his people. Yeah, it, you know, it's a, it's a misnomer to think that anybody comes up with an original thought. Right. It's just a repackaging of, of a thought or an idea or a way of doing something. And I think that's, that's part of the interesting thing about Christianity. You know, we have the Bible, which is a historical document. Yeah. We have, you know, it's up to those of us who are pastors and teachers and, and people involved in uh, sharing the gospel to understand the historical context of the passages that we are looking at, but then also come up with an application for how that would affect or how that would look in our world. You know, so we cannot divorce ourselves from history. We cannot divorce ourselves from what's happening right now. Yeah. In other words, we cannot do theology in a vacuum. Right. Different movements rise up throughout the history of the church. And that's you know, like the Reformation. That could have easily, they could have been accused of trying to do what they were doing in a vacuum. Yeah. But Martin Luther was adamant about being grounded to the, to the Bible. Right. And he... You know, that's why he was so uh, against what he saw in Roman Catholicism. Right. Uh, the, the, uh, the abuses that, that were coming about. And, and, you know, he's not the first reformer. Right. He, he's the one that yeah. gets to recognize him, and Calvin are the ones that get recognized because that's when the shift finally happened. But you had... Uh, people before that were leading up to that. Right. Um, I mean, you had Wycliffe, you had John yeah. Huss, you had yeah. Savonarola and others. In fact, and, and, and these guys, uh, Luther and Calvin, they would point back to some of these guys. Right. Uh, even going back as far as Augustine. Uh, well, let's, let's, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, uh, our faith is in and of itself historical. And our second topic here, talk about relevant scriptures. Uh, I think of 2 Timothy 2 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men also, who will be able to teach others. And so we, we do have a continuation of the faith. But I'm also thinking, you mentioned 1 Corinthians 15, that uh, when Paul wants to emphasize the gospel, he doesn't just talk about spiritual concepts, it goes back to a time and a place. Mm-hmm. Jesus died on the cross verified by witnesses. Some of you who are, are reading this book right now. So we do have that. And then even go back in the Old Testament. How many times, over and over and over again, did the Old Testament prophets and writers go back to 
Listen, this is the God of Abraham, mm-hmm. Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. This is the God, and, and rehearsed Israel's history over and yep. over and over again to emphasize God working among his people. Yeah, that, that's the, you know, without that, frankly, our, the Bible is worthless, pretty much like the Quran mm. or any other religious book is sort of worthless if it's not grounded in fact and in historical fact. Yeah. You know, I have this discussion often with people who want to tell me or ask me to prove Christianity via the scientific method. Well, that's an impossibility because right. I cannot reproduce events that happen in history in, in a test tube. But I can point to eyewitness testimony. Yeah that would hold up in any court of law, especially in the Jewish court of law, that required it be the, more than one person right. to do that. Jim Wallace, interesting gentleman, he wrote a book. I mean, he, he, before he became a Christian, he was a cold case detective, meaning you know, murder, murder uh, trials and cases are still considered valid to do even after seven years. There's no ending of that. So he specialized in going back and looking at the evidence uh, for a specific case. He did that with Christianity and discovered that, you know what, there's all this eyewitness testimony to this. It's time to become a Christian. And he's written a a book entitled Cold Case Christianity and some other stuff. uh, That is basically saying, look at the evidence. And, I mean, the evidence is solid. You've got the... Uh, we have so many more manuscript uh, things uh, available than we do for any historical document uh, or any historical person. Uh, I think part of the problem for people who don't want to believe in Jesus is the claims of Jesus. Right. The fact that he claims to be God and that he claims to have resurrected and that he has a hold because of that. He is the Lord of the universe and he has a hold on your life. That's where people balk. They, they'll come up with a lot of different ways, like Nietzsche, as I look at your sign yeah. there, you know, Nietzsche says that God is dead, and well, and actually the full statement is, and we killed him. Yeah. Um, the thing is, to get away from that, we have to accept other kinds of, of facts than scientific facts. Well, let's get into dangers to avoid. We're going to try to fit this all in one episode here. You're an amazing man, um, <laughs> Kevin. I don't know how you're doing this with history, the church history. Uh, <laughs> failing to learn from history, I think, is something we, we've talked about. And we, we sometimes think of ourselves as, in our modern, what, what to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, chronological snobbery, that we, we have to know more than the folks there in the past. Mm-hmm. But I also want, I think there's an equal um, problem of exalting or uh, looking back at church history with rose-colored glasses and mm-hmm. thinking uh, uh, almost in idolic idolic um i uh i idolatrous idolatrous wow i'm gonna edit that part out <laughs> idolatrous eyes and looking at these guys as if uh they were apostles or they were i mean you know martin luther i have a great respect for but was also an anti-semite and i have to yeah. Acknowledge that, mm-hmm. um, and another member. I mean, we've Jonathan Edwards, a, a tremendous church father, uh, not church father, but uh, Puritan, uh, but a slaveholder. And mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge that these men were sinful men. They were not 
perfect people, and they all had their they they all had their issues, and we have to take the good and the bad and uh, have some discernment. Yeah, I yeah, and the, as we look at history, we do need to remember that there is no one person other than Jesus Christ who ever lived a perfect life, and. It's in spite of our foibles yeah. that God uses us. In fact, it is in the midst of our weakness right. that he performs his stuff. You know, when, and one of the things that we had our family conference here Saturday, and I talked about the Christian worldview and, and the naturalist worldview, and the Christian worldview says history Part of that is it's an open system, and by that I mean God is able to still work yeah. in what happens. So things like miracle, um, you, know, you get the natural or the deist that would say that he is a closed system and God wasn't working. Well, that takes away uh, any need to talk about resurrection, right. which Paul again says that's what our faith is based on. If if that doesn't, it's not a historical fact. It's just some some figment of the gospel writer's imagination, then it's a worthless adventure. Right. And uh, and obviously we believe otherwise. And uh, it's crucial because uh, the Bible stands or falls on that thing. If that's not true, then the rest of it's false. Yeah. So in terms of application, crack open a church history book. Listen to some lectures. Go on to YouTube. And uh, in fact, I'll, I'll recommend some resources for that. In fact, let's get into that. Uh, recommend resources. Ray, you just mentioned... Cold Case Christianity, J. Warner Wallace, which I was a little afraid because you mentioned, you said Jim Wallace. Oh, okay, my bad. Which, I mean, which is true. His name is James Wallace. Yeah. I think Jim Wallace, I think of the uh, the founder of Sojourner is more of a liberal Christian. And I thought, man, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Like, but yeah, J. Warner Wallace yeah. or Jim Wallace, same, uh, not the same person, but you know, yeah, whatever. I think right. Cold Case Christianity, any other books that you would, you would recommend? Oh, well, certainly some of that you have on here, uh, Lauderette, uh, History of Christianity, that was used as a textbook when I was in college uh, for church history. Huge volume, of course, it would have yeah. to be huge to try to cover all of them. And that's, you know, emphasizing just uh, the, Western, right. the Western story of the church. And, uh, uh, but to see what has happened there. I forget the name of the guy. I, well, and actually, there's a woman that has written something that is interesting. She basically says every 500 years, the church comes up upon a, a major shift. Hmm. And you know, the first one was when it became so entrenched in the church. I think the last name might be Tuttle. And uh, then the second was like coming out of the Dark Ages, uh, around 1000 when you got... Uh, Aquinas and others that sort of start that movement out and then of course 500 years later you got the Reformation and now you know uh, her point is now we're in another state of upheaval that the church has got to decide how they're going to deal with the past and what's going on presently I think part of this whole idea is the postmodernism that has come in but that having a, a major shift, we are in a like a hinge pin time frame mm. here to come up with a synthesis of a better uh, representation of of uh, the body of Christ. And 
I think a huge part of that is what we were talking about a little bit earlier about the multi-ethnic uh, yeah. expression of the church and how it won't be long, maybe still in our lifetimes, or at least yours, maybe not mine. Uh, I am uh, much younger. You are, you are. But uh, the where white Christianity, white evangelical Christianity is not going to be the main expression of the church. Yeah. And you know what? When I look at what the Bible has to say, I'm okay with that. Right. Because in, in Acts 12, Antioch was, that's where they were first called Christians derogatorily by the enemies of the church. But part of the reason was they showed love to each other and not just to people just like them, right. uh, but to all kinds well, of let's, people. Well, let's save some of that for a different episode. All right. I'm trying to rein you in, as typical as this program is. Good try. <laughs> So I'm going to add to uh, add to this here. I think that the classic on church uh, church history, history of the Christian Church by Philip Schaff, mm-hmm. uh, I think it believes the seven volume set, which is pretty uh, I think pretty much the standard. Uh, other books I've come across: uh, A Concise History of Christian Thought by Tony Lane. I read a few years ago. Kind of just grab snippets from different theologians within the church, from really the the early church to present giving just little snippets of their thoughts and their writings, which is really good, talking about their history of ideas. And then if you're looking for just like an introduction, uh, a quick guide to church history, uh, back from college, Sketches from Church History by S.M. Houghton is a really good introduction. Again, it's not, it's not comprehensive, but it gives you, as it says, just little sketches here and there from certain people, folks in the church. And, well, that's really our, our podcast for today. Uh, and we were able to sneak this in to one episode. Barely, we're actually over time. But uh, well, Ray, if thanks we're gonna, for, uh, If we're going to do it one time or ten times, which would, you know, we could get a lot more in-depth right. and stuff, I think you can't do it just two or three. It's no. got to be either a one-time shot or uh, multiple times. Well, so. I, I forgot one more resource I want to mention. Uh, Lectures in Church History with uh, James R. White is a uh, audio audio lecture series it's actually a sunday school series dr white does it his church there out in arizona in phoenix arizona i believe he's on lesson 53 or so as, as we're recording this now uh but that's been a fascinating look at it with it with a real emphasis and right now he's on lesson 53 but they they're just hitting the reformation so a lot of emphasis on on the early church which i recommend all right all right we're gonna wrap this up now i'm uh prolonging things so uh thanks for joining us make sure to share this on uh, whatever social media platform you're on, rate us on Twitter. Check us out on uh, rate us on iTunes. Check us out on Twitter at uh, Basic Bible Cast. So until next time, have a great week.